turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles as the Word of God was spreading. It's actually the Acts of the Holy Spirit anointed on the Apostles as the Word of God spread all around the world to declare that uh, Jesus has come to save us from our sins. A wonderful message to hear and to share. Hopefully someone shared it with you and you're sharing it with someone else. And we're just declaring the greatness of our God as we go forth. And uh, everything we need to say is right here in His Word, our foundation, right here. God Himself and what He has revealed about Himself in His Word. And hopefully you're pulling out those memory verses from your box each week. We're in week five and we're reading that scripture that uh, teaches us, as we quoted it earlier from the book of Acts chapter 17. And uh, we're studying the attributes of God, the essence of who our God is and what He's like. And we're going to be doing that every Saturday, every Sunday morning. And, and you're welcome to uh, meditate on that truth throughout the week. And if you didn't pick up a listening seat, sheet, a sermon sheet, you're, those are always out at the front. And uh, they just have some points so that you can follow along and also some questions to ponder throughout the week. But uh, we're discussing... This week and last week, uh, the primary attribute, the aseity of God, what God is in and of himself. And there's two corollaries to go to the aseity of God. And you may think that's just a deep word, Pastor Chris. Well, here's the amazing thing. Yes, our God is an amazing God, but he makes himself known and he makes he accommodates himself to you and to me so that we can know who he is and what he is like. And the aseity of God just simply means God is whatever he is in and of his own self. No one made him. He is being. We are created beings. He never was created. We learned that last week. God is self-existent. He just is. He's the great I am. And what he is, he shall always be. But today, the corollary that goes along with that self-existence is that God is self-sufficient. Which means he's not dependent on anything outside of himself. Which makes total sense. Listen, if he is of a category totally different than you and me. And everything else that's created. So high, so exalted, so transcendent above all things. Listen, he's not like us. He makes us like him in this sense. But we'll never be God's as he is. But he is the cause of our being. He's the reason we're here. What's what we learned last week. But what goes along with that is, because he is totally other, he doesn't need anything. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He, he has all that he needs in and of himself. And it's this basic understanding about who God is, listen, categorically different than you and me, and sufficient in all that he is in and of himself. It's critical to understand this essence of God So that we can unlock all the other attributes of God and see who he is and what he is like. And that's what we're going to be doing each and every week. Next week, I believe we go to he is infinite. What does that mean in our little finite minds trying to get our minds around that thought? Oh, my goodness. Well, first, we've got to realize he's wholly other. There's none like him. And as you and I wrestle with, some might say, deep philosophical ideas, we're not shocked that we wrestle with these things. We shouldn't be. In fact, in Acts chapter 17, Paul is wrestling with some philosophers about some deep theological things. They have some mistruths about what deity is like that he's going to correct. We have some mistruths about what deity is like that God needs to correct. The world doesn't know who God is and what he is like. And we're supposed to be communicating him to them. 
And that's what Paul was doing here in Acts chapter 17. In fact, when he came to Athens, some people heard him talking about deity. They heard him talking about the nature of God and who God is and what he is like and what he had come to do through Jesus Christ. And they said, hey, you need to come with me. Uh, we need to go and and. and he brought him to this group of philosophers, and, and as they gathered there, they said, Hey, this guy's got something that you've got to hear. He's got something you and I need to hear today. It's in God's Word. And what I need to have, and what you need to have, is a heart right now that's ready to hear what God would say to us about who He is and what He's like, so that our lives will be transformed. So if you're ready to hear what God has to say, I want you to stand and honor the word of the Lord. We're going to read Acts chapter 17. I'm going to back up to verse 22 and we're going to go hopefully all today all the way down through verse uh, 30 or 31. Uh, Acts chapter 17 verse 22. Here's what Paul said and what God says to us. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, and in the hope that they might grope for him. And find him, though he's not far from each one of us. Father, you are not far from us. Though you are wholly other, we are grateful that you are present. And our prayer today is that we would know you as you are, so we'll know who we are and, Lord, what you want us to do. And that, Father, we would realize these great truths about your transcendence, a God who's so far above us, yet Lord, we're grateful that you are mindful of us. And so, Spirit of God, teach us your word. Teach us what you inspired Paul to preach that day. And Lord, may we have ears to hear what the Spirit says now. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated this morning. Luke records here Paul's visit to Athens. Athens was in a period of spiritual decline and uh, declined economically. It wasn't the center of of the uh, Roman government and the Roman <clears throat> civilization at that time. Rome was the most important city, but Athens was still influential. It was a, a culture of paganism. It was a culture of idolatry. In fact, when Paul walked through the city, everywhere he went, he saw an altar and a and and a little idol, and it broke his heart as he saw the idolatry all that was going on all around him because he knew that. Idols are nothing but demonic, as he taught the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And these Greeks did not know who God really was and what God was really like. And so Paul is going to see this as an opportunity now to preach to them, to share with them. Much like, frankly, you and I need to do to our culture as well. Who doesn't know who God is and does not know who God, what God is like. And we have been 
placed here so that we might declare to them and share with them what's been made known to us. Paul's up on the top of a hill called Mars Hill or the Areopagus. And there, that's where all the philosophers used to meet. And they gather there and, and they talk about and discuss some difficult questions in life. They love to just sit there and to spout and to tell or to hear some new thing. Of course, the city was devoted to philosophy. We know about Socrates and Aristotle. We, we know about them. They were long past when Paul came. But, but it was still a city where philosophy reigned. And they called philosophy, of course, the science to consider the truth. And that's the truth that Paul's going to present to them that they hadn't considered. You see, these philosophers heard Paul speak and they said, Hey, listen, you've got to hear this guy. He, he's a, well... He's nothing but a seed picker, like a little bird. He, he's picked up some truths and put them together, and he's spouting these things. He's telling these things, but really, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. We need to hear him and consider what he's saying and help correct him. Some others said, no, 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 no. You really do need to listen to what he's saying. He's presenting this Jesus and the Anastasius, which means the resurrection. And we need to hear about this because... They were always wrestling with the world in which we live and what's next. What constitutes and makes this world and what's after this world. And so Paul uh, weaves together these thoughts about the essence of who God is and what he is like. And it's, it's illustrative not only for them but for you and for me for knowing something about who our God is and what he is like. And he starts off where he always did when he met a Gentile. Because the Jews understand that God made the heavens and the earth. That's what Genesis 1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's not a problem for the, for the Jewish mindset. But, but for the Gentiles, for the pagans, it was particularly important to establish who the creator was. And it's in God's self-creation, or in God's creation, that you see his self-sufficiency. God isn't made. We discovered that last week. He always has been. He is being. He is, essence. he is the background of our being and why we're here. But Paul opens up and he says, listen, the unknown God who you have this altar over here for, where, where you worship him but you don't really know him, I'm declaring him to you. And God who made the world and everything in it, that God is the creator God. You know, thinking people, they wrestle with this. Where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? You see, these questions are being asked today, but actually they're not truly being answered in our culture today as they are erasing, listen, the true answers to those questions, particularly for children, about how we're made and who made us and how he designed us. And there's even a denial of what is true about how God made us today. This is why it's critical to understand God's self-sufficiency in the created order and how he made us. So if we know who he is as the creator, we'll know who we are as created beings. You see, 
we wrestle with these questions. And Paul does, and he says, you know what? God made the world and everything in it. And he is the Lord over all that he has made. But he's not a distant God. He's not separated, divorced from his creation like deists would think. He is actually, he is actually uh, involved in his creation. He's also not imprisoned in his creation like pantheists would believe. No, no, no. God is the creator. And in fact, he's not just the creator that made everything. He doesn't need anything. Wow. You see, for God to be in and of himself, a saity, to, to not be dependent, contingent, depending on anything, he has to be free from what he has made. And so when he talks about God supplying for all of our needs, God doesn't have any needs. In fact, he made all of creation, but, but he, he doesn't need anything from us, as it says in verse 25. He made everything. He made you. He made me. He made everything around us. And when he made all of the world, when he made all the universe, when he made the great Milky Way, when he made those oceans and, and those beautiful beaches that we enjoy, when he made all the creatures, the lions, the tigers, the bears, when he made, listen, you and me in his image, it wasn't because God was desperately lonely or lacking. God in and of himself was self-sufficient. He wasn't making up for some deficiency in his essence or in his attributes. God, the living God, the true God, lacks nothing. He isn't depressed because he didn't have someone to commune with, to fellowship with. Why? Because he's Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three persons who eternally were communing with one another. He wasn't burdened that he needed to create something to inspire him or to encourage him. No, he just made it freely by his grace. He chose to do that. In fact, he's not even changing. The creation of, of this world doesn't complete him because he's already sufficient in and of himself. You see, this is critical to understand that God not only is wholly other than us, as we learned last week in his self-existence, but also he's self-sufficient. He is not dependent upon what he has made. In fact, he's independent of his creation. The world, you and me, we were not necessary for God's well-being or for his happiness. And so please brace yourself for this. What I'm going to say may shock some people today. But here we go. God does not need you. God does not need me. God does not need anything. If he did, he wouldn't be God. You see, he is self-sufficient. He doesn't need us. But here's the truth. We need him. Ha, we all need him. We desperately need him. God is not a needy God, but oh, we are needy people. We desperately need him. You see, he didn't need us for his happiness. He didn't need us for his self-fulfillment. But we need him to find happiness and blessedness. We need him to understand who we truly are. And see, God possesses in and of himself all the life that we need. That's what he's saying here. God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything. 
You see, if God is self-sufficient in creation and he doesn't need it, someone's going to say, well, then why in worship is it that we, we bring things to him? Why do we bring sacrifices to him? Why is it that we are under obligation to do that? Well, here's the amazing thing. God did put himself under obligation to creatures by making covenants and promises to them, but he did that freely. He wasn't forced to do that upon him. No one forced him to do that. He did it because of his grace. And when you stop and think, God is wholly other in everything that he made, and yet he takes thought of you and me. Who are we? Who am I? I mean, just some sanctified dirt that is, listen, made in his image and thereby has dignity, and those who are redeemed are being remade into the image of his son. Who are we? And yet someone says, well, listen, if God doesn't need anything, and he doesn't need us, and yet he graciously provides redemption for us, why in worship then do we come to, come to bring things to him? I mean, when Paul saw all those altars that were there, all those gods that were being worshipped, people went up and offered up sacrifices to all those idols. You can read about it in the Old Testament. They would do that as well. Why? They were bribing their gods. They were trying to get their gods to do their will. Newsflash, we don't tell God what to do. We, we don't demand of Him that He do anything. He is going to be consistent with what He has promised in His Word because as we'll discover later, He is faithful. He's also true. And those are attributes that are essential for our life. But here's the amazing thing. God does what God wants to do. And you say, well, then why do we worship him? Why is it that we bring our sacrifices to him? I mean, in pagan worship, they brought their sacrifices. But they were doing it thinking that they were meeting their deity's needs. We're not meeting any need that he has. Because he has no need. He is sufficient in and of himself. He is self-sufficient. But we bring it to him because we realize he's sufficient to meet our needs. You see, this is what biblical worship is. Biblical worship is due to God not because He needs us, but because we desperately need Him. And that's what worship is. Listen, if you and I were bringing something to God to complete Him, then He wouldn't really be God, would He? If He depended on us to meet His perceived needs, would He really be worthy of worship? He doesn't need anything from you, anything from me. He doesn't dwell in a temple. He isn't limited by man's hands. Listen, that's the problem in our world today. We've brought God down to our level instead of exalting him and magnifying him and recognizing our proper place before him because he's wholly other. We want to entertain thoughts that aren't really worthy of who he is and what he is like. When we gather and worship every Lord's Day, listen, we don't come bringing God something that He doesn't already have. It's already His. All of it. He made heaven and earth. He made everything in it. It belongs. It's stamped mine, God could say. For you and me, I say, well, I have it right now. That's right. For you and me, we are stewards of it. We steward what He has given to us. He isn't worshipped in some building or some box or some idol, some image. We're not making up for his needs. No, we are coming and what we are saying is, God, you don't have need of anything, but I have need of everything. And you are the God who supplies it. In fact, when we come before him, as David said, I don't want to come before him empty-handed. I don't want to come before God uh, and appear, listen, with my tithes, my offerings, with with my sacrifices. I don't want to come empty-handed. You don't either, do you? 
Well, some of us think, some of us think he's so sufficient in and of himself, we don't, we don't really give to him. And really what happened is we're robbing ourselves of blessings when that happens. We're missing out on what God wants to do in your life and my life. You see, because by recognizing in worship God's self-sufficiency, we come realizing He doesn't need my sacrifices, He doesn't need my offerings, but I bring them because they're a testimony. They are a testimony that I need Him. Why? Well, it's an obedience thing for you and for me. I mean, He has told us to do that. He has told us to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Why? Because... We're not self-sufficient, and we need Him. In fact, He is sufficient to tell us that we can do more with less. You see, God isn't just enough for Himself. He's enough for you and me, too. I mean, that just blows our minds, right? Now, He can spill blessings into your life when we obey Him and simply do more with less. It's really amazing truth. It's very liberating in life, too, Free, frankly. Because, see, when you obey him in this way, what happens is you're demonstrating, you know what? I love God more than the stuff. I love the one who is self-sufficient more than the stuff that I think will make me sufficient. I love him and what he gives me and how he supplies for me. And not only the stuff, but I love the giver of the gifts. In fact, my heart isn't loving the wrong thing. That's why we freely give to say, this doesn't have lordship over me. This isn't ruling in my life. This doesn't have all of my affections. So I freely come and I give as you have bountifully given to me, sufficient one. Praise the Lord. In fact, we do this because we live by faith. We take him at his word. We, we trust that he doesn't need anything. I need everything, and so I bring my tithe. We bring our offerings, and we say, God, you've, you've promised in your word to be a good shepherd that we shall not want. You've promised that you will supply for your own. You've promised that not only will you rain down your blessings from heaven, but you'll shut the mouth of the devourer who, who, who eats up that which we have when we're not obedient to you. And God does this. That's why in worship we come with joy and we come celebrating because I have found the one who is self-sufficient and he has enough, listen, not only for himself, but also for me. And oh, I want to experience it. It's an amazing thing. It's very liberating too. Very freeing. Because then as you navigate life, you know, listen, it's all his anyways. And I get to enjoy it. It's worship. They had a misunderstanding of worship. They were worshiping all these deities. They were offering up sacrifices to all of them. Paul says, no, he's not like that. You got it wrong. He doesn't need anything. He, he's not worshiped with men's hands as though he needs anything. In fact, we need everything. And he gives to all life and breath and all things. Now, now when you understand his self-sufficiency in creation, he made it, but he doesn't need it. He graciously provides for it. It's amazing. He, he doesn't need our worship, but he receives it. It's a demonstration of where your heart and my heart truly is and what we believe about him. What you realize is, you know what? This God that we worship, this God that we serve, this, this God made us for a purpose. He has a purpose for you and for me. And he makes it, accomplishes it through redemption. Notice what Paul says in verse 25. This God is not worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything, since he gives to all life and breath and all things. And notice this, verse 26. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. 
and is determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him, though He's not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are His offspring. Listen. The God who made all things, wholly other, in a category different than us, as we learned last week, self-existent, in Him we have our being. We're here because He said so. Now here's the amazing thing about His says so in your life and my life. In order for you and I to realize this, that He's wholly other and He's self-sufficient, you say, well, why am I here? Well, we're here because He said so. In fact, He put down your zip code and the generation in which you would live. He determined, as it says here, our pre-appointed times and the boundaries of our dwellings. Everyone. uh, Listen, notice this. He's made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. In other words, God wrote all of your days in a book before there was one. God knew where you would live and he knew the zip code or the area code you would dial for where you live. God knows that all of it. For every human being. And he did that. Now why did he do that? What was God's desire in making mankind? What was God's desire? You see, he didn't have to do it if he didn't need creation. If he's self-sufficient. He didn't have to do that. But he chose to do it. And when he made this world, the amazing thing is that he was free to choose to redeem it as well. He didn't have to do that. But by his grace, he did. And you just say this morning, amen, praise the Lord. He didn't owe that to us. He didn't even owe it to himself. He freely chose to do that. He entered into the world that he didn't have to, but he did. And he did it without compromising himself. He did it freely, entering into relationships with mankind, though he already had a relationship with the Son and with the Spirit. He didn't do that because we needed him. He did it or because he needed us. He did it because we need him. In fact, when he draws our boundaries and the age in which we live, do you notice what he says his hope, his desire is? According to verse 27, it's this. So that they, mankind, should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him. Why are you here? Why are we here? Why are we on this earth? How did we get here? Well, God put us here. Why why are we living here? Well, you see, God wants you to reach for him. Why does God want you to reach for him? Because he reached for us. Jesus came into this creation that he made. He who made time, he who made space, stepped into it. Why? So that we could be saved. Pretty amazing. To bring redemption for you and for me. We didn't, he didn't owe us that, but he freely chose to do it. And what he wants for you and I to do is to reach for him. To reach for him. To grope for him. Now listen, what's amazing is when you see this word right here, grope for him. That's his hope. Does everyone reach for him? No, they don't. Sadly, although he's extending grace, he's revealing himself. He's speaking of his glorious presence all throughout creation. But not everyone reaches back. But that's what he wants us to do. In fact, if you write in your Bible, 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4, through 4, and you go over there and you read in John's epistle, you remember in John's gospel, he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
that logos, that concept was a philosophical concept as well that, that the philosophers would have said, oh, I want to know more about that logos. They had a principle of logos, a word that they wanted to understand. He says, that's Jesus. And what he says in his epistle in first chapter one, first, first John chapter 1 is very important. Listen to what he says. That which was from the beginning, God, amen, which we have heard and we have seen with our eyes and we have looked upon, listen to this, and our hands have handled concerning the word of God. He says, John says, you know what? God who made everything, we saw him, we heard him, we groped him. It's the same Greek word. We grabbed him and we held on. Amen. Why? Because he reached for us first. What an amazing God. Now listen, this puts us in our proper place to truly understand who God is and what he is like. Holy other, and yet it's mindful of you and me. Totally self-sufficient, doesn't need us. But for needy beings like you and me, it says, I'm what you need. What an amazing God to worship. What is one that we should lift up our praises, offer up our sacrifices, not just of what's in our wallet or what we have, which is already his, but listen, our lives, it's what he's truly after. Your will, my will, my heart, yielded, surrendered, that's what he is after. It's what he asks for. The amazing thing, all of salvation, all of it is of God. He doesn't need us to help him. He's not needy and dependent. Listen, if he needed us to help him in this salvation, then he really wouldn't be God. But beloved, he's got all of it handled. Wow, what an amazing God. In other words, if you and I thought that there was something we needed to do to be saved, that we could do it and that would help God, then he really wouldn't be God who brings redemption. In fact, we wouldn't be confident, we wouldn't have a solid foundation for our faith if, if God was a needy God needing our help for salvation. But he demonstrates even in salvation, he's already accomplished it all. From the beginning, right? He chose us in Christ from the beginning, from the foundation of time. From the foundation of this world. He, he had a plan even from then that he would make us in his image that he then would fill to redeem and to save us. And that's good news. It's very liberating. Especially for those who want to toil and try to earn their salvation. You can put down the, the towel and just say, I don't have to do it. Christ has already accomplished it. What you and I have to do is through repentance and faith, turn to him. In fact, that's what God wants. That's what God is after. That we would realize we were made for his glory. We were made because he said we should be here. He created us and wants us to discover who he is. His hope is that we will grope for him and find him. And he isn't far from us. You see, it's really a matter of your heart this morning, my heart this morning, whether it's inclined to seek for him and search for him. Because he's there. We've already discovered that in Proverbs chapter 2. On week number 3, when we were walking through the Word of God. How we study Him. How we know Him. How we come to know Him by His Word. 
With hearts that are inclined, ears that are tuned in, hearts that are leaning in. God, speak to me. Searching for him, valuing the pursuit, realizing, God, I need you. I'm lifting up my voice. Reveal yourself. Make yourself known. We've discovered, listen, all those who who take delight in the work of the Lord, they study him. They study his works because his work is honorable. It's glorious. And his righteousness endures forever. We realize, you know, God, he gives us all things for life and godliness through the true knowledge of him we're discovering who he is and what he's like and it should change your life and my life each and every day because we weren't made for ourselves we were made for him you see in him any being that you and i have is because of his grace it's because of his mercy and and we're here because of that paul says even your poet kind of knew that we're all his offspring We're all here. He is the father of mankind. But here's the amazing thing. Paul says, you got to make a decision. Not just those philosophers on the Areopagus, there on Mars Hill. You and I have to make a decision as well. You see, there's a therefore here in verse 29. And it's there for a reason, right? In fact, I circled it in my Bible. This is the conclusion. Hey, if that's true, since we are the offspring of God... We ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. Something shaped by art or man's devising. In other words, listen, not just the images, but the mental images of who we think he is and what he's like. We don't define who God is. God defines who he is. And where do we find that definition? In this book. Miss Amanda sang it. What more can he say than he's already said? He's laid for us the truth in this excellent word. I and you have to choose to walk by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing something specific, the word of God. And I hear God speak in his word when I open it. And when my heart is yielded to what he has to say. You see, truly these times of ignorance, verse 30 This time of ignorance, God is overlooked. But now he's commanding all men everywhere to repent. Because he's appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. You see, think wisely. We don't define God. We we don't define who he is, his nature. God defines himself. We don't create the object we worship. We're made by the God for worship. We, 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 we've been considering and wrestling with this for the past two weeks now, this deep philosophical thought, but it's not really not that deep. Here it is. Ready? God is God and we're not. And what God calls you and I to realize is to put down our little scepters and take off our little crowns and say, okay, your kingdom is far greater than mine and I want, I want to be a part of it. And I realize that in my rebellion against you, I had sinned against you and I had not surrendered to you. But I realize today I want to stop the rebellion and I want to repent and turn to you. You are everything. You are everything that I need. You are sufficient not only in and of yourself. Listen, you are independent. You don't need us. But oh, I am dependent upon you and I need you. And I realize you stepped into this creation. You see, it's by him This man that he ordained 
This one that has given us the assurance that life is in God. The life that you and I need is evident because they raised him from the dead. Jesus. You see, Jesus is the only way we get to God. It's only through him. And he is the one who has brought us redemption. And we need to think wisely. Because Paul says here there's a day of judgment that awaits us all. Listen, there's a day of judgment for everyone in this room, everyone watching online, everyone listening on the radio. There's a day where we have to give an account for what we did with the truth that God revealed to us. What will you do with it? The light that he's shown into your heart and my heart. What have I done? Did we say, ah, I know better than God. I know better than him. And go our own way. Or do we, in brokenness and humility, cry out, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. Save me from my sin. I see Jesus who died on that cross and paid the penalty for my sin. And I want to put my faith and trust in that sacrifice as sufficient to save me. And I want to ask Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. The Bible says that when you and I repent and place our faith in Him and call on His name, the Bible says we are saved. And our faith rests in Him who accomplished everything that was needed. Everyone has to make that decision. And the real question is, have you done that? Has there been that point in your life where you realize, Jesus is everything I need. I, I don't have what I need in life. And I'm incomplete, but I want to put my faith and trust in Christ. I want to stop rebelling against Him, and I want to surrender to Him and ask Him to be the Lord of my life. And if the Spirit of God has convicted you and you've never made that profession of faith, but you realize you need to do that today, then in a moment we're going to extend an invitation, just as Paul did. Listen, here's the truth. You've got to therefore make a decision. Everyone has to make your own. Parents don't make the decision for the kids. Grandparents don't make the decision for the grandparents. We all make our own decision. We all choose for ourselves whether we believe this to be true. God is wholly other. There's none like Him. The reason I'm here is because He said so. Because He gave me existence. And by the way, the, way that, the reason we're still here is because He says so. Because in Him we live and move and have our being. In fact, God doesn't need me, but I need Him. Have you acknowledged that truth? Because the greatest need you and I have, listen, is not air to breathe right now. It's faith to trust in Jesus. That's what we need. And if you put your faith and trust in Him and you want to make that known, then this is the time when we say, we have an altar. We have a time of invitation. And there's pastors that stand here to receive you for those who need to make that profession of faith. Maybe you'd say, you know what? Jesus is my Savior. I'm attached to Him. He's the Lord of my life. He's the head of my life. But you're not attached to a local body of believers. That's why we have a time of invitation as well. To come and say, listen, God has led us here to South River Baptist Church. We want to plan our life here at this church. We want to lock arm with brothers and sisters to take this message to a world around us. Let's just be honest. They don't know who God is and what He's like. And they are intentionally polluting the minds of children from knowing who he is and what he's like. And church, the light penetrates the darkness and pushes it back. Darkness doesn't overcome light. The gates of hell can't stop the advance of the truth. And that's on you and that's on me. And maybe we need to lock arms and maybe that's why God led you here so that you can go with us as we seek to penetrate the darkness that's all around us. Maybe you know what? You sneak it on the altar today and say, you know what? God, you're self-sufficient. 
but I've not been trusting in you. I've not been resting in you. I've been thinking I can be sufficient in and of myself. I mean, so often the world's mantra is you can do it. You can pull up your bootstraps. You got it within you. You can do it. A newsflash, no, we don't. And no, we can't. We need him each and every day for everything in life. Not just for redemption, but even to go forward each and every step. Maybe, you know what, you've just been living on your own, thinking, oh, I got this, God, I got this. And maybe today you just need to get on the altar and say, God, I'm grateful today that you're enough for yourself, but you're also enough for me. And Lord, I just want to get my heart right with you today. You see, this is a time of decision. If I've heard the Spirit of God speak to me, if I've heard the Word of God and my life has been changed, then I respond to the truth that He has spoken to me. And in repentance and faith and in obedience, we do what God has called us to do. So I invite you to do that even now. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're looking in our hearts this morning, The truth is this this morning. Do you know, not only that God is, that God is wholly other, and that He's sufficient in and of Himself, have you cried out to Him to save you from your sins?